Well, hello everyone. It feels like it's been forever since I talked to you all. I've missed you. So hey there, welcome back. This is The Well Podcast and I'm Amber. I'm your host and we have some back-to-back months of some fabulous people and stories coming your way starting right now. We have only two more The Well live events this year after today. So mark your calendars for September 29th and then the last one is November 10th. We are skipping October because we have an exciting guest coming and we hope all of Columbia comes to see it as well as any friends nearby. Come on, you are going to love this. It's the Freedom Tour with Jenny Allen and Christy Knuckles. The Freedom Tour is coming to us right here in Columbia, South Carolina, and I could not be more excited. If you haven't read one of Jenny Allen's books or don't follow her on social media, I strongly encourage you to. She is such a normal and wonderful woman of God, and her words just connect. She speaks to women and to the heart of what we tend to sidetrack ourselves with. I've loved her books. They have strengthened me and encouraged me to grow into the person God designed and wants me to be. I'm still working on that, and I need all the encouragement I can get. Get your tickets online at the Freedom Tours website, or there is a link through Shandon's webpage. This month's story comes from our friend Kristen. Since we started The Well... I've been praying that we would find someone that would share a story like hers, because a lot of women have this same story and can relate. So many women struggle with anxiety or depression, and so very many of them find themselves having to battle it alone. For whatever terrible reason, it isn't a struggle people tend to share openly, and yet it's so common. And for those of us that don't struggle with real depression— We are often unforgiving or insensitive to their struggle because we don't understand it. And then when it's too late to help someone, we wished we would have listened. So Kristen, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I'm from Marietta, Georgia, y'all. Yeah, I grew up in Marietta. I moved to good old Paulding County um, when I was about five to start grade school. And... um, so yeah, it's a little southern town located what feels like in the thick of the Bible Belt. Uh, there's a church on every corner. But yeah, so I grew up there most of my life. Grew up there, went to church there? Yes, I did. Oh yeah, grew, grew up in church. Um, it's always been kind of a part of my life, a part of my story. So yeah. yeah. Church kid. Okay. Church kid. Um, so in Paulding County, going to church, yeah. at what point did you become a believer? Yeah, I would say um, I was really young. Um, I, was, I was seven years old uh, when I uh, accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was at a vacation Bible school. Um, so I, the gospel was spelled out really clearly, and there was a good old-fashioned altar call. And I was like, hey, I want some of that. So I walked my tiny little hiney down to the front and... Um, prayed with a pastor and accepted Jesus, um, and then I was later counseled to um, be baptized by my now late granddad, uh, which was super special. I don't remember a ton of it. I have a very terrible memory. Um, any Enneagram Nines, if you can relate, what's up? <laughs> uh, just super <laughs> unaware of what's going on in here. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so a lot of it's hazy, but I do remember there was there was a decision that was made. A decision, and you entered into a saving relationship with Jesus, yes. but you're seven. I'm, uh, yeah. So there's not like a big 
life-altering change. I mean, I was a pretty good kid yeah. at seven years old. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's That's not good. like I needed to stop doing drugs or yeah. anything. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but there was, there was a recognition that I needed a Savior. Yes. And that Jesus was that Savior. And so... Yeah, that was. So that's that's in elementary school. You get into middle and high school where <laughs> things get really interesting. Oh yeah. So how was life during those middle school, high school years? Um, it was pretty tough. When I was in middle and high school, I um, started to realize that I had a lot of emotions going on. Like I know I'm a girl, so like emotional, whatever. But I had like little to no control over my emotions and. That was kind of heightened. I was bullied a lot in school. I was bullied a lot at church. Um, And so that kind of affected, like, my school life. I was just, I felt like I was in a walking emotional disaster. Um, So, yeah, that was middle and high school for you. So there's middle school, you're experiencing bullying, on into high school, and there's real no no real safe place because it's happening at school and at church. Yes, yeah. So what's going on at home during this season? Yeah, yeah. Um, When I was about four, my sister, Heather, who's like the coolest, most beautiful human ever, um, she was diagnosed with epilepsy uh, when she was two years old. Um, Turns out she had had it all her life, but we didn't catch it till then. And so my parents, um, obviously that's overwhelming to find out that your child has a disease that you can't really do a ton about. And so I feel like at home... um, Looking back now, I understand the extra attention that Heather needed. She had a disability. Like, she needed extra care, uh, extra help with her homework. She can't, well, to this day, she can't drive and things like that. So she needs a little extra TLC. But um, you wouldn't know it by looking at her. She's drop-dead gorgeous. But um, as a child, I didn't understand the... My per- I feel like a lot of times our perceptions do not equal reality. So my perception as a child, that I, and I also didn't have the emotional or mental capacity to know better, was that I was neglected and rejected. Yeah, that's, so, what, you're, that's what you're feeling. That's what I perceived, that's what I felt, and as a you know, young person, a little person, I didn't really know better. That was just the feeling that was kind of imprinted on my life and my heart at that point in time. So just want to paint the picture here. We're feeling rejected at school, rejected at church, rejected at home. Yeah. With a lot of emotions <laughs> and really no way, not really understanding how to process those emotions. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you handle all those emotions? What did you do? Yeah, I was really desperate for friends, I think. Um, I started hanging out with some people um, that didn't love the Lord, but I didn't really care so much about that. I was, I became this super independent being. My parents wanted me to go to church, so kind of fight the power, whatever. Um, However, a fifth grader can do that. Um, And uh, so I started hanging out with these uh, kids that kind of introduced me to this concept, this practice of um, self-harm. And they were like, yeah, we're emotional too. We're emo. <laughs> so I was an emo kid, y'all. And, um, so, and I didn't know what that was till we started yeah, talking. Yeah, emo, just very in your feels, like, you know. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, so I began kind of, they started out, they gave me like these buttons and I would start just kind of pushing, poking my fingers with these buttons and, and all of that kind of 
it, it became, it developed more into this kind of deep, dark, almost sinister kind of season in my life where yeah. that led to kind of more self-harm, um, where it moved from just kind of poking and prodding around to actually cutting myself. It almost, it moved in a pattern up my wrist and yeah. to my arms. And yeah. so that was a pretty dark season for like a fifth through eighth grader. Um, so yeah, but yeah. You shared with me that you were just desperate to feel something. Yeah, I was desperate to feel loved. I perceived at home that I wasn't worth time and attention, therefore I was not worth love. I perceived at school that I was not worth uh, time and attention, that I was not worth love. And the same thing at church, I felt like this, I felt like there was this tension, this battle between me um, feeling too much and not enough, too much and not enough. And on top of my emotional instability, it was just overwhelming. And I was just overcome with deep sadness, uh, just deep hurt, deep pain. Um, But I was desperate, desperate to feel loved and wanted by anybody who would take me. Yeah. So this group that did accept you introduced you to self-harm. Yeah. And you said that it led to more aggressive yeah. acts of harming yourself. And what did you feel in that time when you would hurt yourself? What Was it a distraction from the yeah, pain? Yeah, I feel like the physical pain was the distraction from the emotional pain. It was anything, I would rather feel anything other than the hurt, the internal hurt that I was feeling, the internal rejection and just feeling like myself was never enough. Um, that hurt so much that I would rather hurt externally. I would rather physically hurt myself than feel that emotional, like, gut-wrenching pain. Yeah. So this all came to a head. Yeah. All of these emotions, really not knowing how to process the pain. Share with us your boiling point. My boiling point was in uh, late eighth, early ninth grade. Um, I just... You know, in these three core areas of your life, uh, home, school, and church, um, as a church kid, um, I felt zero worth in either of those regards. And my, that wasn't anyone's intention. It just kind of happened. My parents were great parents, you know? It was this perception versus reality. But um, at the same time, I, my feeling was that I was not, Worthy. I was not loved. Nobody would really miss me if I was gone at home because my parents would have Heather to care for. Nobody would really miss me at school because I couldn't do anything right at school anyway. And at church, I felt the same way. Like, I was never measuring up. And so I decided that I was going to end my life. Tell me how you're 13 at this time. Yes. About 13. Mm-hmm. 13-ish. How does that even become an option for a 13-year-old? Yeah, I... um, And how did you... What was your plan? Like, what were you going to do? Yeah, so um, my sister, being an epileptic, uh, took a lot of medication. And um, hanging out with the people that I was hanging out with, I was learning a lot about just self-harm and certain, like, drugs that they were using. And I was like, okay, well, maybe if I stole my sister's medication that she needs to live a good and healthy life. Maybe I could use that to overdose myself out of the equation because I didn't felt like 
I didn't feel like I was worthy of being in the equation at all. Like, I felt purposeless, I felt pointless, I felt useless, helpless, and it felt so out of control. Like, a solution on my own felt so out of reach. And at the same time, I was battling this emotional instability um, that I didn't understand that I physically could not get a grip on. And um, so I decided that I would steal my sister's medication um, and try to overdose out of it. And I had a backup plan of like knowing kind of where to cut myself on my arms if I needed to just go another way. Yeah. So let's just pause here for a second because I want us just to sit and just really understand where, I mean, that's really tragic that a 13-year-old is... And your parents were at this point largely unaware. Yes. And um, is dealing with all these emotions and really planning your own death. But meanwhile, mm -hmm. you are thriving as a musician yeah. in, in the world's eyes. Yeah. So what's, because clearly you are very talented musically and gifted so what is going on in that arena of your life? Yeah, um, I, I feel like my mom and my Mimi, my mom's mom, would say that I came out the womb singing, um, which I did not. But, um, <laughs> but I have always sang. My family is very musical. My Mimi taught me how to sing. She taught me how to harmonize when I was very little. I've always been in the church choir. I've always been in the school choir. Um, and so that was always kind of a huge part of my identity. And while I was actually wrestling with all of this, I was leading worship. I started leading worship in the sixth grade. Um, but it was not for the glory of the Lord. It was to feel good at something, to feel some sort of purpose, to feel some sort of worth. Um, but wouldn't you know it, the Lord is just so sovereign, and he uses that to and turns it into yeah. where we are today. It's crazy. Yeah. So you are 13, planning your own suicide, yeah. leading worship at your church. Yeah. And God in his mercy mm -hmm. wrecked your plans and rescued you. 100%. So tell us about how God rescued you. Yeah. Um, I, the Lord... It's so funny how he knows you so well. I mean, he created you, so obviously <laughs> he would know you very well. Um, I'm super big into the Enneagram, if you can't tell, but um, nines are like really big people pleasers. And um, even as a, a younger person, I was a people pleaser to the max. I was a doormat, um, born and raised. And so I, my mom paid for me to go to this camp. And so I was, like, the Lord just knew my nature. He knew who he created. He created Kristen Brantley sensitive to other people's feelings, even though she's feeling all the feelings. That, that was, he just knew uh, my wiring and because he created me. And um, my mom paid for me to go to this, uh, it's kind of like our impact weekend, a D-Now weekend, uh, where you stay at a host home, all that fun stuff, and they do worship and sermons and fun things. And... Um, so I'm planning, you know, my own suicide. And because I'm such a people pleaser, I postponed it so my mom wouldn't waste her money. It's okay to laugh. It's kind of comical. Like, I, you know, I'm such a people pleaser at heart. And the Lord knew that. He's too sovereign not to know that. He's too, like, 
perfect and all-knowing not to know that. And um, so I postponed my own suicide to go to this camp that my mom paid for because I felt bad. And um, I don't remember a lot of that about the camp. Again, terrible memory. But I do remember... Um, this one sermon, uh, we were singing a song, and then the, uh, the guy started talking. I was checked out. I wasn't really interested in anything they had to say. I was just making mom feel good. Um, but he was talking a lot about purpose and about Jesus, and I, I had never been discipled up until this point. I didn't really understand what the correlation between Jesus and purpose was. Um, but he was talking about it, and he, I remember one of the saint, one of the things that he said was, "He's not the Lord's never finished with you. The Lord is not finished with you yet. He has given you a purpose. He's given you life. He's given you this opportunity to receive salvation in Jesus Christ, to live your life and to live a life honoring the Lord and live it abundantly. And you, if you give up on that." Like, why would you give up on that? It's too good. It's too good to give up on. And I was struck. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's talking about purpose. And I felt purposeless. He's talking about there being a point to my life. Like, what? And so I realized through the Lord's grace that if I ended my life now, I would miss out on knowing that purpose that the Lord had for me. I would miss out on being able to live my life purposeful for Jesus. I would miss out on that goodness. I would miss out on that abundant life. And I, I didn't want to miss out. Yeah. And so I, the Lord just kind of wrecked me right then and there. And he, I realized that God sent his son. I'm about to preach for a second. God sent his son, Jesus, humbled him to the earth. Jesus humbled himself to the earth, lived a life that I couldn't. He died a death that I deserved for me. He was buried and defeated sin and death that I could not resist. I couldn't resist sin. I couldn't resist temptation. And then he rose again and he brought me with, with him. <laughs> he brought me with him from my deadened state, from my almost physically deadened state, so that I could have life and have it abundantly. Like, what? And this is what he did for me, but he also did it for every single one of you, and I digress. But um, that realization just wrecked me. Yeah. He died so I didn't have to. It's now, there's just a, sanctification is happening. You're, you're becoming, it's just a new level of belief and understanding. Yeah. Uh, and I understand now that the Lord has a purpose for my life. In Philippians 1, uh, six, uh, it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I, I had to cling to that. Yeah. I had to trust that, like, he began a good work in me. Yeah. Kristen, you, during those years of high school, middle school, you didn't know it then. You mm -hmm. later learned that you were also suffering from anxiety and depression. Yeah. Uh, which played a major role in you getting to this place where you even considered suicide. Yeah. But this weekend happened. Mm -hmm. did, the, your, did your depression just go away? 
Only if. <laughs> no, not even a little bit, no. Um, I didn't really get any help. I, um, I told a, a church staff member everything. I laid it all out on the table. Um, and they didn't really, they didn't understand it. They didn't know what to do with me or what I just told them. So uh, they didn't do anything. Um, and then I, I tried to tell my parents. I was a little afraid of letting them down. Um, and I, I tried to tell them. Uh, I used a couple of key phrases. Uh, told them I thought about hurting myself. I've, I've thought about, you know, some pretty intense stuff. And I've thought about kind of ending my life. But I want to live it for Jesus now. And I think, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what I said. But I don't think my parents had a full understanding of depression and anxiety. Had they known the whole story, had that staff member, you know, kind of come to my parents and been like, look, here's, here's all of it. Like, let's talk about it. Um, I think they would have taken me to get help. But I don't think anyone in that realm that I told had the understanding of the seriousness of depression and anxiety in general, but also of my, my state. Yeah. Um, didn't know enough to know how to help. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But there was some person that eventually you met. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your friend. Oh, my girl Janice. Um, she <laughs> was the uh, youth pastor's wife at um, a church that I went to back in Ackworth and um, Metro Atlanta. And she began discipling me. And I started kind of putting two and two together, putting Jesus and purpose together, uh, putting just that together in my mind just freed me up to the possibilities of what it could look like to live an abundant life, what it could look like to live for Jesus, um, and the freedom and the goodness that came with that. Um, so it was, that was a really pivotal moment in my like growth as a believer, but also as a volunteer worship leader at that point. So eventually because of maturity and a deeper understanding, you you did seek professional help. Yes, yeah. There were uh, a couple relapses, um, just suicidal thoughts and things that um, happened. And I had finally had enough. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm taking myself to get help. I am going to take myself to a Christian counselor. We're going to talk it out, and I'm going to see if this works. Because yeah. I, I want to be a healthier version of me. And is that when you learned that you did have clinical... Yes, I learned that I had, um, that I suffered from clinical depression. Um, So there's a chemical imbalance in my brain that makes it very difficult for me to um, get a grip, uh, air quotes there, uh, if you will. And so that, that recognition was really like freeing, Mm -hmm. knowing that I felt, the feeling that I felt of like, not being able to control my emotions, yeah. like it wasn't all my fault. Like <laughs> there was freedom in that, in knowing that this is a real thing and real people struggle with it. And I'm not ashamed to struggle with it. And I'm not ashamed that I do go to counseling. I do take medication. Um, it's like a chronic thing that I will have to live with. And yeah. That doesn't make me any less effective for the kingdom of God. How did it affect your relationship with the Lord? There was a deeper dependence upon him for sure, but also 
I was finally in an emotional state through the assistance of counseling and um, medication to just like rest and let him love me. I felt so unlovable and I was able to kind of just be a little bit more in control of my emotions to realize that, oh, oh, he does love me. Like, and I was allowed, I allowed myself to let him love me. He never stopped loving me. His loving me doesn't depend on whether I let him or not. Um, but I started to believe it and trust it. Um, and so that really, really shaped the way that I loved others, the way that I loved myself, uh, and the way that I loved God. And the Lord used that experience, too, to change your career path. Oh, big time. So what was, how did he work that out? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've been uh, classically trained in voice uh, through, like, high school and college. Um, I was encouraged by my college professors to pursue a career in opera, to, like, my goal was to like audition for the Atlanta Opera and be an opera singer. And that just felt so fun to me. It still feels so much more natural to me to sing classically than contemporarily. I feel like a baby contemporary musician. I don't know. But um, so it changed the reason that I sang. Um, as a performance major uh, in college, it's all about you. All about how you present yourself, how you sound. You're singing for you to get a good grade and to get a job. And, um, yeah, I found joy in it, and I still do find joy in it. I, like, was weeping in my kitchen just a few days ago listening to an aria that I sang uh, for my jury's freshman year, and I was like, oh, Lord, why can't I just do that? I feel so much more comfortable doing that. But the Lord is just so good, and he created this desire in me to want to sing to glorify him and not self, to glorify my risen savior and not Kristen. Um, So that drastically changed uh, my career path. So I started to pursue worship ministry as a career. So you got a, you're, you were working at a, as a worship leader at, in Atlanta. Yes. And then you made your way here. Uh-huh. Do you still battle depression? Air day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All day, air day. Yeah, here we go. All right, so one of the things that we're so grateful that you are sharing your story with is because, as all of you are very much aware, suicide rates are um, increasing yearly, sadly. And um, you have certainly battled that and self-harm and still continue to battle um, or live with depression and anxiety. I don't, you are certainly not alone. I think I've certainly had my own battles and I would say that there's a lot of others here too who probably have. What do you want to say to the woman right now who is living with and just working through depression, anxiety, and other emotional, spiritual uh, health? Yeah, I, first, you're not alone. Uh, you're, not, you're not weird. <laughs> you don't have anything to be ashamed of. I know it feels shameful. It feels like nobody gets you, but I get you. Um, and you're, you're not alone. And the biggest thing, I think, the first biggest step that you can do for your own mental and emotional and spiritual well-being is just telling somebody. <laughs> the Bible talks about confession so much, um, 
and uh, the confession of sin and how when we confess our sins to one another, we bear one another's burdens, like that sin loses power over us. And also in Romans 10, uh, verse 10, it says, uh, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Like that confession is a huge part of salvation. And I think, I'm not trying to take the scriptures out of context, but I think the the point, the, um, oh, it's another P word. I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> the principle. If, uh, the same principle applies uh, where seeking help uh, is concerned because when we confess our, when we tell somebody about our hurts, I feel like we get a little lighter and it gets a little easier to start talking about more mm-hmm. and confessing more of, of how we're feeling so that we can learn healthy and I don't know, just healthier ways to work through it, to process it, to handle emotions, to handle hard things, to handle just ourselves in general. Yeah. So I think just just talking about it yeah. is just tell somebody. Just tell somebody. Seek yeah. help and, and then chase after Jesus, y'all. Like just run as hard as you can after Jesus um, because he's worth it, one, and he loves you more than anybody on this earth ever could. Um, he died for you. Like he paid an ultimate price for you so that he could love you and so that you could love him and feel the freedom and the joy in that. And um, I also, there's a quote that I read actually this morning in my quiet time that I wanted to share. Uh, The quote is from uh, Jen Wilkin. Uh, She wrote it in Women of the Word. It says, the God of the Bible is too lovely to abandon for lesser pursuits. And then well-watered women um, wrote a little devo about it, and I just want to read a blurb to you guys because I feel like they said it so good I couldn't say it better. Um, we're all chasing something, whether it be followers on social media, money, clothing, affirmation, love, or companionship. We were made to chase. In the Bible, we're told to seek first the kingdom of God and to seek the face of God, and it tells us that in Matthew and the Psalms. But Jesus is worthy of your pursuit. Instead of chasing after things that will fade away, chase Jesus. He promises that when we seek him, we will find him. Mm. So seek help and seek Jesus, y'all. That'll preach. (laughs) Right? We have have some resources we want to share with you guys. We have a um, screen. There we go. If y'all... Um, If anybody here is seeking some additional help with just dealing with emotional and spiritual health, um, we want to provide you with some resources. Take a screenshot, jot it down. Um, It's so, so important, and it's virtually impossible to have um, spiritual health without emotional health. And um, it's so such a gift for us to share your story. and we want to equip you, everyone uh, also, if, as much as we can, to be able to recognize um, signs or symptoms of unhealth. So you have some uh, things you want to share with us that we can look for and just so we can say, hey, what can I do to help you? And hey, can we, can we talk about this? So what are the, some of the signs that we can be looking for, Kristen? Yeah, um... TBH, I took a screenshot of it and I think I accidentally deleted it, so I'm pulling it up again. So like give me like two seconds. 
This is where ad-libbing, my spiritual gift of ad-libbing comes Come in. Come on, Andy. Sarah, tell us a joke. <laughs> uh, Anything. Um, I just, I do want to reiterate that as a church, we do take this very, very seriously um, with the components of spiritual and um, scientific health, but we're not professionals, but we want to help you get all the help that you need. Um, I'm ready. Did you find it? Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) These gnarly phones. Um, So a couple of signs, just if you're feeling this in your... If you feel this for yourself or if you notice a friend or family member uh, feeling this way, um, feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, um, like nothing's going to get better, nothing's really worth it, kind of like that's a huge feeling that I wrestled with um, in my... Earlier, well, I still wrestle with it today. It just doesn't go away. Um, also, loss of interest in daily activities. Uh, that's a big one that gets me. I would mm-hmm. much rather stay at home and sleep all day than face reality and um, do hard things. So um, that's something that I combat daily. Appetite or weight changes is another one. Sleep changes, whether it's uh, insomnia or you're just sleeping all the time. I, I don't know. Uh, but that's a huge thing. I've wrestled with that as well. Um, anger or irritability. Um, that's a big one. Uh, just irritable all the time. Don't really feel like putting up with people in general. Um, loss of energy, self-loathing, reckless behavior, concentration problems, unexplained aches or pains. Um, those are just a few signs or symptoms of depression. Um, just so that you guys can be aware and be educated. I feel like, um, as the church, we're called to bear one another's burdens. Um, in Galatians 6, 2, it's clearly laid out. Uh, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Help each other out. Uh, sisters help sisters. So um, if you see someone hurting, um, I'm not saying you need to counsel them if you're not a licensed counselor. Actually, I am saying do not do that. Um, <laughs> because that would just get all sorts of out of whack. But... Um, be a sounding board. Listen, be aware. Don't just kind of brush somebody's hard stuff under the rug because you don't understand it. Point them in the direction to a Christian counselor. We have Christian counselors here at Shandon. There's also other um, options at First, Pre- First Presbyterian's Counseling Center. Um, it's, it's really important for us to take seriously, take mental and emotional health and in regards to our spiritual health, uh, seriously, and loving on others through that as well. So just being aware, being educated, and being able to point them to a professional. It's just super important. I'm going to cough again. One of the things that we've talked about throughout this process, which has been kind of like ripping a Band-Aid off for you, so thank you for sharing this with us. But one of the things that we've talked about a lot is that this, the point of Kristen sharing her story is not to highlight emotional or spiritual health or Kristen, but to highlight Jesus and his goodness and his, how he is, he's in the healing business and his, in the redeeming business. And we wanted to just say uh, thank you, but also why did you decide to just share it? Just just open up your book. Yeah. Um, well, practically, Erin asked me, and I was like, yeah. And then I was like, no. And then she asked me again, and I didn't realize that's what she was asking. And then I was like, <laughs> yes. And then I was like, oh. So... <clears throat> 
There's a fun little anecdote for you. Um, but for real, I, the point of our stories is to glorify the Lord. Uh, we aren't called to glory in the brokenness, just sit in the brokenness. We're called to glorify the Lord. And that's a huge, that's the point of my story, is that I, the Lord didn't let me sit in my hurt. He didn't let me sit in my brokenness. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for all of my sin, all of the shame that I would ever endure so that I could have life and have it abundantly. And the point is that gospel. Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He died a death we deserved. He defeated sin that we couldn't resist and he rose again and he brought us with him, y'all. Like, that's the point of sharing our story. And we're that life that he calls us to is an abundant one, is a good one. It's a life full of freedom. And John 10, 10 um, says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Y'all, an abundant life awaits you. And in order to pursue life abundantly, I feel like emotional and spiritual health are a huge part of that journey, especially like for me, it has been pursuing emotional and mental health and spiritual health has helped me be a more effective vessel for the Lord, for his kingdom. Uh, so that's, that's the point. Um, my purpose and my mission is to elevate the name of Jesus, not to elevate the name Kristen Brantley or not to project so loud that I don't need a microphone, not to, you know, my life is to praise his name, whether I feel like it or not. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. Most days I don't feel like it, but the Lord is bigger than my feelings. The Lord's bigger than your feelings. And he can use you in spite of whether you feel like it or not. He, the Holy spirit is not bound to whether you feel like it or not. The spirit's going to move if the spirit wants to move. And y'all every Sunday morning, I feel like the spirit wants to move despite how I feel. Um, and it's just such an honor and such a gift to be a part of that, that that's my career, that that is the calling that the Lord's placed on my life. Because if I had a choice, I feel like most days I just wouldn't get out of bed. But the Lord has given me the gift of this job and that my, my job is to glorify the name of Jesus and to lead others to do the same through song. And it's helped me. It's taught me the, the discipline of corporate worship. We're called to sing, y'all. We're called to sing, y'all. We are called to worship. I think it is absolutely beautiful that someone that is burdened with the struggle of depression is gifted with song. Nothing lifts my heart like music. That God gifted Kristen with song is just beautiful. Kristen sang a cappella at the end of her interview, a very personal song that she connects with in her struggle. It's just special. So listen at the end of the podcast to worship with her. Of all struggles, this one does seem to be a big one that women keep bottled up. The very thing that we need to do when we are struggling with depression is reach out and get help. And so many people don't. Why? Are we afraid? The enemy is whispering in our ear that we aren't worth it. Nothing hijacks our identity like fear. It isn't God that wants us afraid and isolated. 
God wants us to draw to Him so that He can comfort us. Kristen said when she got help, it allowed her to let Jesus love her. Ah, That just breaks my heart, friends. Jesus is there. That tugging that something isn't right, that's Jesus. He is there. Jesus is there. The world is messy. And depression is a confusing part of it. And Satan uses it to his advantage. Satan is smart. He attacks each of us where we are weak to make us weaker. If we struggle with feeling worthless, he will isolate us and say, shh, don't tell anyone. They won't understand. So why try? It's Satan that tells you to give up. It's lies. It's all lies. You are not worthless. You are God's child. You are my future friend. You're beloved by Jesus and needed by the people around you. They may have gotten busy and distracted. They are human and it happens to everyone, but their distraction doesn't define you or make you worthless. Don't let fear hijack your identity. Please go and tell someone. And if your mom or friend or dad is busy, come and tell us or email us. We are not experts, but we hear you and will help you get started. Getting help and embracing Jesus' grace allowed Kristen to be used by God. God has a plan for us. Does that sound like a cliche? God has a future for us. We are not here without purpose. God's mission for us is to share the goodness, holiness, and the reality of God with as many people on the face of the earth as possible. We are all a part of that plan. Don't let Satan convince you that you are not a part of that. Kristen sings, So I will rise and lift my head, for by his mercy my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Precious blood has left me forgiven. Pure like the whitest of snow. Powerful to make sin and shame retreat. This covenant is making me whole. So I will rise and lift my head From by His mercy my life was spared The highest name has set me free Because of Jesus my heart is clean And purify my heart in your presence Teach me to discover the joy Of holiness that forms As you draw me close In you what was lost is restored So I will rise And lift my head For by His mercy my life was spared The highest name has set me free 
Because of Jesus, my heart is clear. So I will rise and lift my head. For by His mercy, my life was spared. The highest name has My heart is clean because of Jesus. My heart is clean.